Hello, welcome to Black Factivism, episode five. Um, my name is Corey McCarthy. I'm here with my co-host, Corlin Pereira Douglas. Um, you know, we ready to, it's been a tough couple of weeks. Um, you know, I got my morning hood on right now. It's just sort of very tough, but things are, things are a little bit different this year. Um, things are a little different right now. So, Corlin, how you doing? I'm doing good. You know, like it. It's been a it's been a weird week. You know, I feel like I'm getting pulled in a lot of directions. You know, for teachers, you know, we have kind of the week off, um, and you know, I'm inspired by a lot of the stuff, you know, that students are doing to make up the work. You know, I've had you know a, a pretty good amount of students that are with me every single day. You know, and so when I think about the academics and all of that stuff, I appreciate those students who are continuing to, to grind away and, and find a way to, 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 to show that they have that love for that education and that, that, that they are, you know, still connected in that way. Um, and then, you know, you look at that and put that with the backdrop of, you know, with, you know, the Derek Chauvin stuff and having to, to, to kind of process that on my own. And then as a teacher, you try to think about, you know, how do I help students understand that moment? How do I help students understand what that moment means, how important that moment could potentially be, and then, you know, make sure that what's not lost in the message is, you know, what has to happen afterwards. And, you know, for me, you know, trying to figure out, you know, how do I help, um, you know, students process that idea and process that, 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 that specific kind of touchstone. Um, it's something that I continually think about over the last like couple of days. Um, yeah, that's what I would say is it, it's definitely put me in a, in a lot of consternation with what happened to you know Makai Bryant and and a couple other things how like where does this George Floyd kind of progress fit within that 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 current culture you know because I don't think that it's a win I, I just feel like it's 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 accountability for once that's what I would say that it's finally accountability to some degree but it doesn't it doesn't necessarily mean that that progress has been made it's just this one moment that's been accountable oh boy how am I doing you brought up a good point about our ac academic recovery program for some, for those of you who don't know we ran an academic recovery program with about 175 kids this week, um, 200 to 300 signed up, uh, about 150 kids made it. Um, they did a ton of work this week to try to get from a D or F to a C. Um, and I think it was a success for different reasons. I've never in my career seen so many kids try to hunt down their work. So many kids seek educators to get help so many kids just email me at 1 a.m., 5 a.m., 4 a.m. And then looking at the fact that kids spent 1,100 hours in four days online doing work. 
mm-hmm. right? Like 1,100 hours. And that's not even counting the teacher assigned work. So I am wrestling right now because I'm like, some people didn't finish and we extended it to tomorrow, but some people didn't finish. And I'm wondering how can I be equitable about that? So that's what I'm struggling with right now. But I love the fact that kids fought for their grades, even though they fell down early. And that's sort of the, like, if, if, if I don't find, a, we don't find a way to sort of affirm that effort, we would have lost, we would help, we would be contributing to them losing the battle. And um, that's on my mind right now. You know, the George Floyd thing, I just think that, I think as black folks, we got to work so hard. We got to work so hard for people to listen. <laughs> we got to, the only things that a black person can do to adversely affect the lives of privileged white folks is to hit their money. Whether it's a consumer hit or canceling. And I think the threat of cancel culture had a large impact on why this man was convicted, other than the jurors probably just stepping up and doing the right thing. But then you look at the other murders and say, hey, you know, this, this is me at my own people right now. Like, I think we accept too much. And I think us just, you know, sell. The celebration, yes. No, I, I get it. I just, I just know that one, there'll be another, and another happened that day, and a few more. But if you look at the young lady, Miss Bryant, getting killed, it really, I've had black folks say to me, yo, man, it's, that's on her, that's on the family. I don't, if we if people are trained to de-escalate, if people are trained to um, not seek to shoot to kill, you know, people are trained in combat. Why is the most excessive force the number one option? Mm-hmm. People say, ah, shoot or stabs, you know, cool. But I mean. There are receipts of other situations worse. I saw the butcher knife, the, the white dude with the butcher knife. I saw the guy who pulled a gun on a cop, and the cop didn't even want to pull his gun. You know, I, I will say that, you know, could it be, a, could it have been a bang bang situation? Literally. Um, I just think we, we got to, I think folks got to use better judgment there. And I think that for, for some people to not be outraged by this is, is beyond me. Um, so yeah, brother. Yeah. Like that's humble. Yeah. So to me, like when I think about the George Floyd thing, you know, I think I said this, uh, what a couple of weeks ago, I think is, you know, to me, for us to be able to get just this level of justice, right. Is, what it required is required this interesting form of torture that all these individuals, these just just regular people had to sacrifice in order to, to, to make this happen. 
right? Retraumatized. I think about that 19 year old kid, right? Who had to quit his job. And he says he thinks about it all the time, right? You look at Darnella and how she says she thinks about it every day that she didn't do more. Apparently taking the video wasn't enough for her own conscience, right? She continues to think about that. Yeah. And, and, and you look at, at those kind of things. And, you know, the, the thing I think when it comes specifically for black and brown individuals is I don't think this is true as far as the response that cops have, but for black and brown individuals, if you don't do something that I tell you to do, I will shoot you. And that's the first thing that to me seems to be it, you know, and that, cause you know, when I think about the kid, the 13 year old boy who got shot, I go like he was going to shoot him whether he 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 had his hands up or not. Right. So apparently if I tell you if I tell you a command. I have already predetermined whether or not you're going to get shot, whether or not you put your hands up because that kid it's on the video. That kid, he obviously you can say he had a gun prior to that, but he's obviously complying to what you said. now. Yeah. I mean, complying clearly means nothing. I'll tell you this, brother. You know, I've been in situations where I've been able to de-escalate people with weapons, mm-hmm. guns. I got stabbed in my hand doing that. So I, I, I can't buy that, right? I can't buy that. Right. Let's shift. Let's let's just shift really quick um, to education. You know, I was watching one of the school committee meetings this week. I won't say where. And politicians were, you know, are arguing against um, money for kids with the, with this particular district school committee. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, how many things? How many variables? How many elements? How many conglomerates? How many systems? How many institutions, how many organizations do we have to witness work against children? There was, they were literally arguing against and about money for kids. And the one person, there's two of them, but one person was a student who was on there and the student was like, basically like, listen, Here is why you need to invest in us. And the the black girl, the the reason you need to, because we will return the favor and come back and give this place more life. Right? And it kind of fell on deaf ears. Except for a couple of people who sort of acknowledged it. I don't know why we must negotiate things nice. Why can't our kids have nice things? Why must they have the baseline, the bare minimum? It it really drives me nuts because guess what? No one, anyone who pays, rent's going to go up regardless. Businesses are going to struggle regardless. We're in Massachusetts. Taxes, taxes are going to go up regardless. And we don't know where our taxes go, but at least if I'm paying taxes and I know it's going to the kids, I'm all in. So I'm like, why can't this only in urban towns can you hear people arguing about what's what 
to spend money on for kids. And, and a lot of suburban towns, it's a non-negotiable. And it's, it's, it's really very adolescent. That poor young lady must have been out there like, yo, I can't even believe this. Yeah, right. So, so you know, one of the things that I continue to think about is I, I, you know, the union meetings always are infuriating for me. The, not the the ones during the school year, although those ones too, but the one at the very beginning where they where they tout all the stuff that they got for teachers. You know, they always tout all the different things. They rifle off, you know, what they do and how they helping teachers out. And the thing I always ask myself is, you know, these unions are so strong and they have so much, so much influence, and they they use all that influence for for the teachers. And I always go like, somebody tell me in the, in the, in, in, in the makeup of education, especially in ur- urban places, someone tell me the analog or the thing that is advocating for students that is advocating um, for the parents and for the families. And I realized that I know that some people are going to say that, you know, education, they have these type of things all the time. I go like, no, but they're not, they're not, they're not consistent. And they're not, you know, these organizations are not throwing weight the same way that the union is, you know, the union to me works so well because they're super hyper-focused on protecting and serving specifically just the teachers, not the students, not the parents, not the families. We are specifically you know, thinking about only, uh, you know, those specific uh, teachers in mind. And I always ask myself, where is that same energy? Where's that same consistency? Where's that same thing that you see with the students? And what you realize is, yeah, in the suburbs, the reason why they don't have to worry about it is because the parents will demand nothing less, right? And what you do to me is you take advantage of the fact that in those more suburb type places, they have, the families have more resources to be able to hold those teachers in the, in the district. Excellent point. Excellent point. To a point to force their hand to actually yeah. be about kids. That's, that's the difference, right? Is the right. fact that the people in the suburbs Right. The people in the suburbs have the ability to come down and say, like, hey, our finance is about to make about to start start, start talking to y'all. Right. right. And, and y'all will feel when I withdraw my money from. And we're not just talking about like a group of people. We're talking like one person comes in and goes like, I just want you to know what's about to happen. Mm-hmm. And the differences in urban settings because of the the way that education has not served that community, it keeps the wealth very much displaced and not in the hands of individuals who can make uh, and 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 create that influence. Um, and 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 once again, there could potentially be a place, or there should be, right? I think it's weird that we serve students. There ain't no, there's no place for students to to, to be at the table. And but yet the teachers somehow are the ones who who get to design things, right? When I, I, give it, I, I, I let me let me say this. Some of the things that I like my parents loud. I like my parents obnoxious. I like my parents to tell me what my school is about. 
I like when my parents are saying, oh, no, no, this is not your handbook. This is not what you said. Because that means they're paying attention. Parents are not stupid. Parents know who the, the kids love to learn from. They know who and what they respect. And they know when they're learning. And here's another thing, right? I, I think that when you have these unions, I think parents need to be educated on what the union bylaws and manuals are, of what they say. I, I, like, imagine, do you know how ridiculous it is to have it written into a union contract, how, what hours you're supposed to call home? And you know, people argue, uh, obviously beyond not just in our district, right? People argue about when they should be calling kids and families. This is someone you cut your teeth with. These are kids. So you mean, oh, I have to call once every two months from six to eight. These are students, these are black, BIPOC, white, Asian, Latinx students who need that whose families are working their tails off one, two, three jobs, and they need the positive affirmation or they need the progress. But because these contracts are convoluting the message that teachers are supposed to be there for children beyond the classroom not knocking teachers. We work with some damn good ones who go above and beyond. But we also know that in districts, there are educators who are crippling the growth of students. It's there and they're protected by folks. And the marketing job that unions are able to do in urban districts is insane. Hey parents, we're here for you. They won't let us do this. They won't let us do that. It's not us. No, I, I'm in the union, but you know what I'll do? I ain't just calling from six to eight. I'm showing up to the crib. Yeah. I'm, I'm saying, come to me. Come see me. I will help you. I don't care if it's 11 p.m. I don't care if it sounds crazy that it's 5 a.m. As long as my eyes are open and this air going through these nostrils and I can get up, I'm going to help. I'm going to serve. Because I quit my job a long time ago and I picked up a passion called education. You know, we, one of the things that's really funny about it and to me, like how I know that in my opinion, I think education in general is not, I, I don't think they are doing a good enough job of communicating the idea to families that we care about their kids, that we care about the welfare, not just of the student, but also of the family as well, is, you know, how, how interesting somebody responds to you when you do show up at their house. Mm -hmm. you know, I don't know how many times, you know, we 
you know, there's so many students out there who are struggling right now uh, with remote learning. You know, I've been checking in, especially over this last week with, you know, a lot of students who I know are high flying students, you know, who, who I, I know one of them who, you know, because of the fact, you know, her family, because of the, you know, documented status that she had or that her family has, you know, she's had to work, you know, two jobs basically in order to help support her family. And, you know, you go from an A student to, to, to where she is now. And I go like, man, you just keep doing what you're doing because you're doing mm -hmm. an amazing thing. But I have some students who are struggling with the online platform, right? right. And I don't know how many times, you know, I go like, no, nah, I'll print it off. I'll, co I'll come by and drop it off to you. I'll drop it off and we'll go, we'll go literally line by line, making sure that you have what you need, make sure that you, you know, schedule a time so that, hey, if we got to be 6.30, if it got to be, you know, five, you know, six thirty-seven. I was literally with one, one student, what, a couple of days ago, it was like, what, nine thirty, ten o'clock. I'm sure there's probably an admin person who's like, yo, that's like too late, <laughs> right? That's probably like- I think that's me. You shouldn't, oh, be, <laughs> you shouldn't be contacting them. And I go like, man, that's when I had to work. <laughs> you know, I have a student who, um, you know, the latest, you know, I, he was like, yo, I work- I work the two jobs that I do. I get home at 1030. The only way for me to do any work at all is, you know, 1030 at night. I was like, well, <laughs> if you up, I'm still up. That's all I know. If you up, I'm still up. I think you should probably go to sleep and, and work on your own mental health. But he said, no, it's important to me that I, that I do my education, which I was like, word, I appreciate you. <laughs> right. I appreciate, I, I think you should get sleep, but he was very adamant about it. And so we were, we were hammering away, you know, starting at 1030 and, and burning the candle. And, you know, I know that there's some people who probably think that might be inappropriate, but in my opinion, that's what, ne that's what that student needed. Um, and that was the dedication that he was willing to give. And so, you know, the fact when I show up to these families' homes and some of them I've shown up and they've literally said this when I told them I was coming and, and they said, I didn't think you were really going to come. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, I didn't mm -hmm. think you were really, I thought you, I thought you were just offering it. <laughs> I thought you were just offering it. I had a cat run out the back of his house when I rung his doorbell. <laughs> he just ran and jumped over the fence. And I'm like, yo, it's Mr. McCarthy. You know, you know, I had a similar story where, uh, you know, a kid was like, hey, Mr. McCarthy, I need to talk. And uh, I was watching Black Lightning and nobody gets in the way of Black, Black Lightning but my kids. <laughs> and I was like, hey, man, you, it just really sounded like Zoomish, right? Like, this didn't know in person. Mm -hmm. So I sent the kid a link. He gets on and he just starts shaking his head. Shaking his head, shaking his head. And I'm like, I'm just like this. I'm like, And then he goes, yeah, you're right. <laughs> He's like, yeah, you're right. You're right. I thought I was bugging. And I'm like, all right, man. Um, you'll hit me tomorrow. All right. He was like, yeah, you're right. <laughs> and, got off, and got off the call. I was like, man, this, this is. These, these kids are cool, man. You know, they're, they're cool. They're, they're cool, man. And, you know, this is one of the best practices that we do. But I want to know, I want to ask you something.
Tell me something, an exemplary practice that you have seen that you would take with you everywhere you go, right? That an exemplary practice that you would take everywhere you go as an educator. You know, to me, the biggest thing that I think can open up anyone, and there's some student or some teachers at the school that does do this. Um, the one thing that I think that we really drop the ball in, and I think that this is really what students are looking for, um, for the most part, is the humanity that they see in the spaces that they have in the classroom. You know, not just in the classroom, but also in the hallway, all of those different things, right? The fact that if there's one practice I would do and I would push students or to me teachers to explore is I would ask the question that, that I ask every day in my curriculum is forget about the learning targets. I want you to do one last check before you present it. And I want you to ask yourself, is there a way that you can tell them about yourself through your, through your education, through your curriculum? That's what I want. I want, if there's a place where I can tell you about, you know, my sister or a passion that you have, right? Where I can insert parts of, of my own personal story and my own personal life that can help them be able to see the humanity and the thing that we're talking about. Like that to me is something I would do. You know, I talk a lot about the pride curriculum. I just want to keep hammering away at that because, you know, we just talked about you know, the day of silence before we went to break. And I was able to tell students about what, how life was like before this, you know, as much hate and how much discrimination that the LGBTQ uh, community has to endure now, I go like, I tell them about my, 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 my friend, Chris, when he was growing up, you know, for me, he's the first mm -hmm. um, person who I ever saw come out because I didn't know any gay people. I didn't even know those, you rarely saw them walking around or existing on their own. And I remember the hate that Chris got simply because of the fact that he wanted to come out. And now we have a more progressive idea where people can do that and do it safely. And so what I would say is insert that practice to it. And then the other thing I would say, and this is the cool thing about trying to think about how I can take culture, things around me and bring it into my class is I really truly think that it, what it'll do is unlock your own mind. Because I feel like to me, when I was my first four years, I feel like I was very much a rules oriented person. Right. And one of the funny things about students to me is students I think they, they, they do a lot of really interesting things. And I think it runs contrary sometimes that if you're someone who runs the, the strict notion of a, of, a, of a rule book, some of the things can skirt against what students just regularly do. And what I found my first three years when I was trying to, to, to manage my classroom in a super just over managed way is I didn't have the opportunity to think about those other kids, right? I didn't get to think like that kid makes a reference and I'm sitting here trying to think about whether or not that kid, uh, some kid across the room is, 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 <laughs> is, is breaking a, a rule somewhere. And instead of engaging with the student who made a, something that is a cultural reference, 
right? He he totally is t- letting me know, even though he he doesn't know it. He's informing me about today's culture. He's saying that this is the slip that you can use in order for me to what get to where he is, right? And I feel like to me, my first three years of teaching, I was so focused on making sure that things ran a particular way that my mind was closed off. And I felt that when I started to bring myself more into my class, my, I, I, it, it was almost as if somebody unlocked the person who was like behind this weird teacher shield. And I'm able to be more free. I'm able to explore who I am more. When somebody says something, right, I can actually I call it pitching and catching. When a student says something in the middle of your class or in the middle of your presentation, I think you have a couple of options. One, you can believe that that student probably shouldn't have said anything at all. Two, you can either just acknowledge that the person said something, right? I think that's what a lot of teachers do is they just acknowledge it. The person says something and they move on. Or what I call it, you pitch and catch. you, You can catch it and then what? You can throw it back to them because your right. whole, in my opinion, I always tell any teacher, anytime somebody says something and it has a cultural foundation, I think what, what's very important is you pitch and you throw it back. You gotta, you gotta give it back to them. And what I would say is, you know, don't, don't feel nervous because you can say anything and what you say back to them can be totally like a stupid thing to say. You can, you can say the dumbest thing back to them and it, nobody will care. And and, and, and and they'll catch it. Wait, because they'll, they'll, they'll catch it. Right. And, and this is what it is, because this is the lesson that you teach them in this moment is what they want to do is they want to know if I do something, is he paying attention? Is right. it just the lesson that we're listening? Is right. the lesson the only thing? Or if I throw something back, is he present with me? And there's so many times where I feel like as teachers, we talk to students about being present in our lesson, but we are not actually present there either. Right, so- right. Because we're trying to get through the lesson. And the kid is saying, what is this? Is this person going to notice if I change my behavior? Yep. If I change the behavior. I'll tell you one thing that I will always bring with me. Um, reflective practices opportunities for students to, re- to be assessed through reflection. At my old school, we used to have something called connection. Human mission heads out there with no connections and reflections. The kids come into school and they say, hey, I like, we all say, I like to connect. And the kids just say, hey man, I ain't ready today. <laughs> I like to connect, I ain't ready today. And you can't comment, you can't re- have a rebuttal, nothing. But as an educator, I'm going to my, Phone, I'm like, yo, man, Mikey ain't ready today. So y'all gonna have to chill out. <laughs> we ain't triggering Mikey today. That's one. But reflections, reflective practices helps us assess what space kids are in. You know what I mean? Like, it, and it for, but for the students, it really helps them with their mean making, right? It, it, it does, because when you are asking kids to talk about how they feel, to describe what they create, 
to be reflective about a moment, an action, right? It literally doubles as teach me how you learn, right? And show me how to teach you, right? And I think that we, it's almost insulting to some before some of these non 21st century educators that kids write about themselves or just be reflective. And then to write, and if they don't offer you much, that your journey with that kid is helping them understand, helping them write more. Because the life lesson belong behind the life lesson that 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 is required for that particular course can always be achieved down the road if the kid finds their personal agency within your class. I could go reach, I could reach back and get the bio when I'm 22. But I can I may never be able to find the space where I figured out how I could learn about me. And I think we're just, I think reflective practices. So at the end of the day, um, the, we will have a reflection session and the reflection session is, hey, I like to refl- reflect. Hey, you know what, Mr. McCarthy, his class, that class, that class was dope today. You Mr. know. Doug, Mr. Douglas's class, I don't know what he was talking about, but I ain't going to disrespect him, but I'm going to have to go get some help. Mm-hmm. that's what we want because that's that self-diagnosis right and you know one of the practices that i do in my classroom and i i, I feel like i don't know if I, maybe some teachers do it mentally i would i would push you to do it on paper or digitally if you want to do it digitally um you know every single year at the beginning of the year i always for every single student and you know i think you have to take the time don't just like i said don't just think about it actually put it on paper so that it's a real thing is every single student every single one should have an academic goal you should have one for them and the second thing is you should have a social and emotional goal that you have for your students because you know i always tell people like sometimes you know getting an a is not the win for that student you know, that might not be the academic goal that you're trying to get. There are some students who were trying to, the win, the biggest win they can have is a social emotional growth that you can give them within your class and trying to help them understand who they are, how they problem solve, how they deal with certain things. Some of the things that happen in my classroom is specifically designed, uh, which is, I'll say this, one of, one of the one pains that I have is that you know, is, is that we're not in person because I really love, you know, the, the, the feeling that some students get when they're in my class. And, you know, for me, when it comes to providing students with, um, with, with the school supplies, it's not just wanting to give it them something. It's the fact that that student, you're inserting opportunity for, 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 for time management, for all of those different things, right? Something that Mr. McCarthy is talking about in terms of, in terms of mindfulness practices, in my classroom, we, we do something called the prompt jar. Right. Where sometimes, I don't know what's wrong with admin, but they'll just sometimes, you know, it's going to happen in about a couple of weeks because they were like, yo, gauntlet, MCAS week, all week. Um, and- Why did they be talking to me like I'm not admin? Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> um, And sometimes, you know, they come in and 
there are some teachers who don't run anything. I don't think like there's those moments where they just don't do anything in their class. And I always go like, I think you're communicating some of the students when you do that. When you just have, what are we doing in here? We just gonna sit in. We're not doing nothing. All right. Well, we just not doing nothing. You didn't plan nothing. Um, I think you communicate something to them. And so what I always did is I love journaling. That's something that I always love to do. Right now we have a club and we do journaling. Love that, love that, love that. And we do this, like I said, it's a prompt jar. It's really nice. You put it in a jar, you pass it around. Each one each one has like, you know, specific or, or excuse me, random prompts on it. And you just put a timer up, 10, 15 minutes, let the kid just free write. And then we just go in a talking circle. Man, what was your prompt? And what did you say? And you just you just run that. And I swear, if every single time you run it, it take, soak up a good 30 minutes. And more importantly, allows individuals to, to, to express themselves in a way that they may not always do. And I can tell you right now, I mean, I've had, I've had students pour themselves out. I've had students, <laughs> I, I tell them that, I tell my club this as well, and they're not quite in that space. Why is journaling so powerful? Because sometimes you can, what, surprise yourself. Sometimes you can sit there and yes. someone told you, 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 so, you know, so, so often I feel like a human response when somebody asks you how you're doing, like, yeah, I'm doing all right, right? Everybody is doing all right, you know, for the most part. Everybody's doing all right. Even the people that you know that ain't true, they still say it. And so... There's tons of times where I would tell someone, how you doing? I'm doing okay. But then I realized, or at least through journaling, that somebody would tell me something, but here I am writing three and four and five pages, and that can't be true if I have this many mm. complex ideas and complex mm. thoughts and complex I, like reactions to this. Right. This isn't like me preparing for a paper or anything. This is my stream of consciousness, my true self. And to me, I would ask, you know, for education in the same way that I would ask, how do we support parents? How do we how do we make students understand that we care about them? Is how do we put more of this type of practice within my classroom? How do we fill in those spaces where to me, you shouldn't have a moment, you know, where you come into a classroom and we're just not doing nothing. We just, we just sitting in here. I know that everybody's not here or whatever reason precipitated you not doing something. I always go like, that's the reason why you should have a bunch of culture. We're going to talk about this. 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 Have a a, a more robust place where you have students being able to have that conversation, what I would say with humanity. Correct, correct. I think the you know, there's a lot of so the social emotional learning. I have my doubts about the intent. I, I don't know if social emotional teaching and educating is as for kids as it's presented. I think oftentimes it's presented to as a as a buffer for, for for teachers to feel better about themselves, and because there's not always a lot of ways create. There's more ways to implement it than there are ways to create data and measurement as to if the kid is improved or benefited by it uh, from from it. So there's spaces to talk about it, but there's also no room to do anything about it. 
So that 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 bothers me a lot. Uh, man, as we wrap up, you know, your class is kicking off tomorrow, um, your urban financial literacy. And um, I want to end by talking about how, you know, I, I, I know what it's like to be broke. And I wish I had this class that you're about to start tomorrow. I wish I knew about credit. I knew, I wish I knew about credit cards. I wish I knew about the stock market. You know, I wish I wasn't intimidated by learning about money because I didn't have money. I wish I knew how to create money. I wish I wasn't fooled in college by the t-shirt that they gave me if I signed up for a credit card. You know, I wish I knew how to, how my, where my taxes were going. I wish I knew enough about Coinbase. I, why is your class so important tomorrow, man? Every financial literacy. You know, you know how I know that the class is important and how not only do students feel, see the value, but the families see the value in it. I don't know how many parents have reached out to me. You know, we're doing like a Google form sign up thing and trying to get students sign up for it. I don't know how many parents have reached out to me and said, you know, my kid can't come every Saturday, but could you just record the sessions and I'll join the Google classroom. And, you know, she, she is super stoked about it and she's going to do it on her own time. I just go like, it's one thing for a student to come you know, nine to 12 repeatedly, which I, I appreciate those students who are coming every week. But when a student comes to you and tells you, you know, what, I'm, I could be doing something else with my, with my free time, but I think this is enriching and I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to do this instead. That's how I know that it's important when it, when a person gives their time when they don't have to. Right. And, you know, it's important because this is the difference between being able to get some form of advantage. You know, I was, I was talking with someone, you know, about the financial literacy that we would give to urban students versus ones in the suburbs. And I go like those suburbs kids are already having this conversation with their parents. They're already putting them in positions to understand these things. Down to the swear jar. Right. The whole thing. I swear the whole, at three. The whole thing, right? And you know, I appreciate uh I'm I'm gonna uh you know appreciate Hong Vu. Um, you know, I've been working with her and talking with her back and forth uh about how we can you know get... Hong played basketball for me. Shout out to you, Hong. Did she? Okay. Hong was on my 2007 state championship basketball team, bro. Is she what okay. are you talking about? She would <laughs> how would she not mention her ridiculous no-nothing coach. She was in the garden knocking threes down, bro. <laughs> okay. I'll I'm proud of Hong. Hong had to work one time and cost me the city championship, but it's all right, though. She had to work. That's, <laughs> that's our circumstances, man. Like, I had a kid who, who, who could have missed work, and she missed the city championship. You know. And I told her. I didn't even hesitate. I was like, yo, you got to go to work. Because right. you got to support yourself. She was supporting but, herself. No disrespect to all your business at home, but. <laughs> um, you know, she was talking to me about 
you know, why it's important that, that students know this information as early as they can, because the earlier that you can begin to put pieces in place where regular individuals can simply access things that, that like, I'll tell you right now, when I met with her, she was introducing me to a lot of different things that I myself am only jealous of the fact that my students get a chance to be exposed to it this early and how I can tell you right now, you know, that many of the stuff that she was saying, I myself didn't even know that those types of things existed where there are, you know, specific financial brackets that you can have that are not taxed. There are specific things that you can put your money and have it grow. And if you do it early enough, you can begin to make it so that you can get more money by investing less. And in a world that we have today, that to me is an extremely important thing. And what I continue to believe is it takes specific knowledge and just like anything to be successful in long-term macroscopically, it takes planning. But the thing I would say is you can never plan if you do not have the information. You cannot plan if you do not have the information. And one of the things that I'm inspired by is, you know, these students getting the opportunity to be exposed to it. And then I hope that they appreciate the activities that we have um, and that we, you know, that it's something that they feel is accessible and that it's engaging enough because if they do it, I think they're going to get a lot out of it. And so I appreciate them. And, and I, I just appreciate them for giving me that time and believing and, and trusting in the fact that, that they will get something from our program. Yeah. I, you know, thank you. And, you know, if you're interested, um, hit us up, um, yeah. definitely hit us up. You can use the, um, you can use my email, um, coach Corey McCarthy at gmail.com. But also I'll say this, and, and we're going to close about um, finan urban, urban financial literacy. You know, the difference is poverty, right? And, and the, the different direct, and it's not the woe is me poverty, right? It's just the competitive economics about poverty, right? There's two things that our community struggle with is recognition. And I think we could help kids as young as four, five, six, seven, and eight with recognizing finances. We don't have to, we don't have to throw the numbers at them, but because little children understand what's fair and what's not, right? That's one of the first things they learn. And the second thing, why we need urban financial literacy is it is decision making. We have a decision making problem in our community. We make poor decisions. The black dollar is worth very little, may not even be a cent now. The Latinx dollar is worth around five to six cents. Asian American dollars, I think, is 18 cents on the dollar. You know, and then we got to navigate around through and with and accept the white dollar, which is fine, right? It's, it's what we, it's our economics. So in closing, 
you know, thank you guys for, for sharing this sort of, um, you know, we didn't use the prompts. We just go on the fly because that's where our heart's at. And, um, you know, I'll say this, tomorrow's going to be tough for me. Um, it's been a tough week overall. Shout out to the boy Terrence Clark who got killed who, um, in L.A. Um, man, it, it, listen, man, there's a gaping hole in the city right now because this kid's not here. And it's equally matched by the gaping hole that was left by DMX dying for me because DMX, whenever I needed courage, I, I, I leaned on DMX for the littlest things job interview, going to meet someone I may end up loving one day, um, being brave enough to, to have a conversation with someone, making a, 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 an impactful decision that may adversely affect somebody else's life. Whenever I needed music the most, DMX was there. So Shock G, all of our, like, we gotta take care of ourselves, man. People are dying. And there's no, if you're looking for an answer as to why people are dying, make sure you're not the reason why you're dying. Thank you guys for joining us. Uh, we'll see you guys next week. I got a special guest next week. Cortland has a special guest next week. Billy McLean will be back next week. We got a, we, we got a home run hitter next week. Thank you for joining Black Factivism.